chapter 29, verse 1. The Philistines assembled all their troops at Aphek. Aphek is now all the way north. Now we're going all the way north. The Aphek is right up there close to the Jezreel Valley. And Aphek is a very powerful city. Now one of the things that the narrator is doing here is remember the message is all the entire time. Two times Saul has come into David's hands and did David kill Saul? No. So one of the things the narrator is trying to develop here is that David is unlike Saul because he's unwilling to take matters in his own hands and kill Saul and make himself king. So now David, the narrator, is making it very clear that David is in Ziklag all the way in the south and Saul is going to be fighting a battle all the way in the north in Aphek. Is David anywhere close to Saul when he's going to die? No. And the narrator is showing you that they're so far away from each other, there's no way that David can be held responsible for the death of Saul. And that's important for what's coming next too. When the leaders of the Philistines were passing a review of the head of their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were passing a review of the near of Achish. The leaders of the Philistines asked, What about these Hebrews? Achish said to the leaders of the Philistines, Isn't this David, the servant of King Saul of Israel, who has been with me for quite some time? I have found no fault with him some of the day of the defection, since the day of this defection in the present time. So they're going to battle. And this time they're all going to fight together. And the Philistine generals are like, I don't know about this David. It's one thing for him to be all the way down there fighting a bunch of skirmish battles. It's another thing for him to actually be in our army fighting with us as we go against the Israelites. What if he turns on us? Now that's legitimate. And Achish says, hey, hasn't he been great the last year and four months? I trust him with my life. But little does Achish know, he really can't trust David because David's been lying to him. And actually, who has more wisdom is his generals. But the leaders of the Philistines became angry with him and said to him, Send the man back. Let him return to the place that you assigned him. Don't let him go with us into battle, for he might become our adversary in battle. What better way to please his Lord than with the heads of these men? Isn't this David of whom they sung and danced? Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So Achish summoned David and said to him, As surely as Yahweh lives, you are in an honest man. Not really. And I am glad to have you seen serving with me in the army. I have found no fault with you from the day that you first came to meet me until the present time. At this point, you're just realizing Achish is so duped. But in the opinion of the leaders, you are not reliable. So turn and leave in peace, and you must not do anything that the leaders of the Philistines consider improper. But David said to Achish, What have I done? What have you found in your servant? For in the day that I first came into your presence until the present day that I should go and fight your enemies of my lord the king. Now notice that David is pleading his case, but he's choosing his words very carefully. I have been faithful to my lord the king since my very first day. What Lord King is he really talking about? Achish likes to hear himself in that. But David has left himself a nice manipulative loophole to refer to anything. I never said you. I just said a king. Well, that's kind of deceptive. Achish replied to David, I am convinced that you are as reliable as an angel of God. Not really. However, the leaders of the Philistines have said he must go, not go up with his battle. So get up early in the morning along with your servants. 
of your Lord who have come with you. And when you get up early in the morning, as soon as it is light enough to see, leave. So David and his men got up early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went to Jezreel. David just got kicked out of the army, got kicked out of the battle, and was sent back to Ziklag to get as far away from the battle as possible. The narrator specifically mentions the point. David went as far as south as he possibly can, and the Philistines went almost as far as north as you possibly can without crossing the mountains into the northern region. Why is this all happening? All of a sudden, the generals don't want David there. All of a sudden, David's getting sent back home. What's behind all this? God. After all this time, God is basically trying to tell David, get out of the Philistine army. Go back home. Don't be anywhere close to this. Even if you're pretending to be loyal to them, even if you're going to try to play a double agent in the battle, it's still going to look very suspicious when all of Israel sees you with who? Philistines. And we know how confusing things can get in battle. And we know how people totally misinterpret circumstances. And they take a life on their own. And everything gets dragged out of proportion. David, you're about ready to be the king of Israel. Saul's going to die tomorrow. And you're going to be in the Philistine army. And even if you're a double agent, all Israel is going to see is you with the Philistines. And you think they're going to trust you when you try to become king? And not only that, you're going to be so terribly close to Saul when he dies. Do you honestly think somebody's not going to mistakenly think that maybe you gave the death blow to Saul? And no matter how true to your word that you've been, that you will not kill Saul, you won't take matters in your own hands. People see a lot of things that don't really happen. And people who are pro-Saul and anti-David like to make up a lot of things about what happened. God is in David's life saying, I'm going to make you king. And this needs to be legit. This needs to be smooth. This needs to be without doubt. This needs to be without scandal. Go back where you belong. Now, David doesn't know anything what's going to happen. And that's why it's so dangerous to take matters in your own hands. It sounds very logical to be with the Philistines. It's been working out with him for a very long time. But he has no idea what's about ready to happen tomorrow and that big political scandal that that can create for his kingship. And this is finally going to be God's anointed king, the one that he's wanted And the last thing that God needs is to finally have his anointed king. And it starts with scandal right off the bat. Because God knows a lot of things that David doesn't know. And God is just saying, go back home. But if David won't listen to him in prayer and a conversation, then God will manipulate the circumstances of even an ungodly generals of a Philistine army to get David to go back home. They're not doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it out of fear. And God stokes that fear to get David to go back home. Because even in the midst of David not going to God, God is still honoring his promises and still looking out for Israel. If only David could have just seen this. Unfortunately, there's another thing that's going to happen to try to kick David in the rear end to wake him up. And David's still not going to see the signs. And it's going to take him a while to begin to wake up and realize, oh, I should be in Israel. Because he's become very comfortable there. Remember, David is not without flaws. And David's track record is not always totally smooth and perfect. 
But in the end, the narrator is arguing for David because even though even right now he's not right with God, the difference between him and Saul is he will wake up and he will get right with God again. And that's the question. The mark of our Christian life and growth is not how perfect we are and how quickly we become perfect. The mark is, are we moving towards God? Are we a little bit more closer to God this year than last year? Did we turn to God more quickly this year than last year? Did we wake up to our stupidity and self-reliance faster this time than last time? Did, even though I was far away from God for a period of time before I got back on track, was it less time than the time before? That's the real mark. That's the real litmus test of growth. And that's what we need to look at. And there's this tension where we can't be satisfied with just being lukewarm because God doesn't want that. But we also can't beat ourselves up because we still got faults in our life and we still have struggles. And that's why ultimately we pray, test me, O Lord, and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and you lead me in the way of everlasting. So chapter 30, verse 1. On the third day, David and his men came to Ziklag. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and the Ziklag, and they attacked Ziklag and burned it. They took captive the women who were in it, from the youngest to the oldest, but they did not kill anyone. They simply carried them off and went on their way. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned, and their wives and sons and daughters had been taken captive. And then David and the men who were with them wept loudly until they could not weep no more. David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam of the Jezreelite and Abigail the Carmelite, Nabal's widow. And David was very upset, for the men were thinking of stoning him. Each man grieved bitterly over his son and daughters, but David drew strength from Yahweh his God. Then David said to the priest, Abiathar, son of Halemelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of Yahweh, saying, Should I pursue this raiding band while I overtake them? He said, And Yahweh said, Pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and carry out the rescue. Now, the Amalekites are south of Ziklag in the Philistine territory here. And the Amalekites are a nomadic raiding tribal people. They are really not known for being shepherds, and they're not really known for being agricultural people. They're mostly known for taking from other people what they want. And so they're raiders. They're brutal people who go around raiding and taking from people. And it is extremely... So David comes back to Ziklag and discovers that his entire home and all the houses of all the men have been burned down the ground and everybody's been kidnapped and taken away. But the narrator specifically emphasizes that nobody that had been taken were killed or harmed. Now, this is extremely abnormal for anybody in the ancient world who does this for a living, raiding other people, to attack and not one person gets harmed or killed, even by accident in the raiding party, nor raped or sold off into slavery. All this seems to suggest that God's hand is in this. Now the question is, there's lots of times that God has been taking care of people, he's been with them, but bad things have still happened to people and people have gotten hurt and people have died and God has allowed that. So why here of all the times is God allowing all the homes to be burned down and yet not one person gets harmed, which is abnormal. And the reason is that notice that all the Philistine homes have been burned, but all the Israelite people have been spared. 
God is, so to speak, kicking David in the rear end and telling him to go back to Israel. He's burning everything that is of Philistia, all the homes, everything that would keep David in Philistia and feeling comfortable there. Yet he is taking all the Israelites and taking the captivity, but allowing them to be safe so David can rescue them. So David will still have his family and hopefully David will get the point that he should be back in Israel. Now, in the last year and four months, God has allowed David to hang out in Philistia, even though he shouldn't be hanging out in Philistia. So why now, of all times, does God now say, I'm going to burn in your homes and make sure that you're in Israel? And the answer is, because Saul's going to die tomorrow. If there's ever a time that David needs to be in Israel, it's right now. Now, David doesn't know that Saul's going to be dead tomorrow. David doesn't know that there's going to be a vacuum of leadership in Israel and they should be there, but God does. And God is doing what he needs to do to get David there. The men are turning against David too because David has probably promised them protection and security. And later we're going to find out there's a group of wicked men intermixed with all this and they might be stirring up trouble. But also notice that for the first time ever in all this year and four months that David is there, he finally calls out to God and he goes to God for help. And this is something you're going to see in David's life. When, when David was good in Israel, feeling really safe with Saul as his commander, he didn't really have much of a relationship with God, not really talked about. Yet when he goes on the run and he's stripped of everything, he all of a sudden started turning to God and depending upon him. But now that David's been living in Philistia, very comfortable and protected in homes, he hasn't really been calling out to God. Now he's stripped of everything again, and he's going to God. And that's going to happen again. When he becomes king, gets very comfortable, eventually his relationship with God is going to dwindle out. But the minute Absalom comes along, his son, and dethrones him, and he goes on the run again, he's going to go to God again. And this is a pattern that God is showing, is that of course it's easy for us to turn to God when we have nothing. But we don't typically do it when we're comfortable. And the lesson is we always need him because there's always going to be a moment that will come when we'll be stripped of everything again. So God gives him permission to attack the Amalekites and promises him victory. Verse 9. So David went accompanied by 600 men. And when he came to the Wadi Basor, those who were in the rear stayed there. And David and his 400 men continued pursuit. But 200 men who were exhausted across the Wadi Basor stayed there. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and thought and brought him to David. They gave him bread to eat and water to drink, and they gave him a slice of pressed figs and two bunches of raisins to eat. This greatly refreshed him, for he had not eaten food or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And the young man said, I am an Egyptian, the servant of a Malachite man. My master abandoned me when I was ill for three days. We conducted a raid on the Negev of the Carathites, on the area of Judah, and on the Negev of Caleb. We burned Ziglag, and David said to him, Can you take us down to this raiding party? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to the raiding party. So David encounters this Egyptian, just happens to be an Egyptian from the Amalekites, knows what happened and where the people are. That's God. But not only that, the narrative is showing that David's taking care of this foreigner, this Egyptian, and he's providing for him. He's being compassionate for it to him. He took David down, and they found... So verse 16. 
So they took David down, and they found them spread out over the land. And they were eating and drinking, enjoying themselves because of all the loot that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. But David struck them down from twilight into the following evening, and not one of them escaped with the exception of 400 young men who got away on camels. And David retrieved everything the Amalekites had taken, and he also rescued his two wives. There was nothing missing, whether small or great. He retrieved sons and daughters and plunder and everything else they had taken. David brought everything back, and David took all the flocks and the herds and drove them in front of the rest of the animals. People were saying, this is David's plunder. So notice the narrator again is emphasizing nobody was harmed. Nothing was hurt. David got everything back. Everybody came back. It's emphasizing the miraculous event that God is taking care of everything and protecting David. But it also is making the point that David is dealing with the Amalekites that Saul was supposed to deal with all the way back in chapter 15. This probably would have not been an issue if Saul had obeyed David, if Saul had obeyed God and done exactly what he was supposed to be doing. Then David approached the 200 men who had been too exhausted to go with him and those of whom he had left at the Wadi Bersor. They went out to meet David and the people who were with him. When David approached the people, he asked how they were doing. But all the evil and worthless men among those who had gone with David said, Since they didn't go with us, we won't give them any of the loot we retrieved. They may take only their wives and children. Let them lead them away and be gone. So the men, there are evil, wicked men. So this shows that not everybody that is with David is a godly person. Some are there just for their own gain. And some of these evil wicked men are encouraging David that this is not fair. You shouldn't give them plunder. They didn't go with us and fight the battle. They hung out back here. They shouldn't get anything but just their wives. Verse 23, But David said, No, you shouldn't do this, my brothers. Look at what Yahweh has given us. He has protected us and has delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to you in this matter? The portion of the one who went down into the battle will be the same as the portion of the one who remained with the equipment. Let their portions be the same. So David says, no. It's not their fault they got tired and became physically weak and couldn't keep going with us. They were committed just like us. They were affected by this just like us. They should all reap the rewards of all this. We're all this together. And what this is showing you is that David is not going to play this game of rewarding people who do things. He's trying to maintain unity of his people. He's trying to inspire loyalty because David knows that one day he's going to be on the throne. And he could be doing this because he really cares about the people and really cares about unity. But there's also probably another part of him as a king is thinking politically that one day he will be on the throne of Israel and he's going to need all the support and loyalty that he can get. And he needs to treat these men well. It's kind of like the Super Bowl where everybody gets a Super Bowl ring even if you sat on the bench the entire time. And that's the way David is handling this. So he gives them all portions. So this shows you that David is being fair and just and rewarding in taking care of an Egyptian or foreigner, as well as being fair and just in taking care of all of his men, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Verse 25, From that time onward it was a binding ordinance for Israel, right up to the present time. 
When David came to Ziklag, he sent some plunder to the elders of Judah, who were with his friends, saying, Here's a gift for you from looting of Yahweh's enemies. The gift was for those of the following locations, for those of Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and it lists a whole bunch of city names off. And a bunch of other places that David meant. So David, once again, remember, the entire time that David is on the run, Judah has been taking care of him. Judah has been allowing him to hide there. And Judah has been allowing this to happen because this is David's fellow tribe. And David has been hanging out and hiding there because this is his tribe. And so he's now rewarding them for taking care of him all these years. However, remember, David's still thinking as a politician because not everyone in Judah has been supporting David. And so he's now sending rewards and blessing them for the people who did take care of him so that he can win support when he takes the throne because he needs people in Judah backing him since they are the most likely to back him since he probably doesn't have a whole lot of allies in the north because that has been mostly influenced and controlled by the Benjamites and he hasn't really been hanging out up there for the last 15 to 20 years. Notice though that this story ends with David still in Ziklag. Now once does it say that David realized what God was trying to say with this. David took his men and went back to Israel. Nowhere does it say that. Nowhere does it say that he figured this out. In fact, we're going to find out in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel that it's actually been three days, at least three days, that he's still in Ziklag after this has all happened, which means he's just like hanging out in the ashes or something for these last three days, doing God knows what. 